All right, we're going to try and record this as well. So, as Pastor Scott said, tonight we are going to discuss forgiveness. I don't know if any of the one another's are easy or come natural to us, but I would easily say forgiveness is right up there with one of the hardest things we can do. And I'm going to set our framework here a little bit to how we're going to process our time here tonight. And I want you to consider this framework for really a lot of the things that you do in your life, all right? We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about the what of it. We're even going to talk about the, the how we forgive. But the number one thing I really want us to turn our hearts here tonight is the why. Why do we forgive? If you can answer that why question about why you do anything in life, you're going to be just a step ahead of everybody else. And I think you're going to find that the effort of the how, the effort of the why is going to be so much easier. There is this thing I've heard and like to call white knuckle Christianity, where we know the what. We know what we're supposed to do. And so we try and white knuckle our way through it. Think of yourself of riding a roller coaster and you're just trying to get through that loop. You're holding on tight, using the greatest willpower that you can, yet you can't do that forever. If you're not motivated by a why, the what and the how are going to become a lot harder, and I think it's going to increase your chances of failure. But if you're motivated by your why, things are so much different. All right? So here, who here has been told that you are to forgive someone else, or we're to forgive one another? Everybody, I would hope, right, if you've been around church or even just general society, it's a general thought that you are to forgive one another. We understand that. You're told to do that by your parents. You've probably been told for a long time. Your sibling apologizes to you, even though you don't want to. They say, okay, tell them you forgive them. And you say, okay, I forgive you. Now, whether you mean it or not, and, and we'll talk about some of that over tonight as well, but the Bible gives us a why, a much bigger why than just we were told. Why does the Bible tell us we are to forgive? And trust me, I'm a lot better at being quiet than you are at not answering, all right? So I can sit here all night until somebody answers me. Why does the Bible tell us we should forgive? Okay, we'll turn to your Bibles and we'll find out. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. No one's willing to share the answer. I'll just make somebody read the answer, and then we will discuss. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. We actually have a couple one another's, or even perhaps three one another's. Awesome one another's here. But it answers the question of why we are to forgive. And here's a spoiler alert. It's not just because Jesus told us to. There's something greater. Who wants to read Ephesians 4, 32? If you're not daring enough to give me a, an obvious answer, maybe you're daring enough to, to just read some words. Please, go. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Okay, so the end of the verse tells us there. Why do we forgive one another? Because we were forgiven. Particularly, who were we forgiven by? Jesus! Sunday school answer, right? Most of my answers are going to be pretty easy for you tonight, all right? I may get a little bit deeper as we go. If you guys loosen up a little bit, please loosen up. This is going to be a really long night if you just have to stare at me, all right? We forgive because Jesus forgave. Do we forgive because our friend forgave us once? Do we forgive because 
you know, anyone else, a stranger, our parents, or someone else forgave us. No, not ultimately, because they may or may not forgive us. But we forgive because Jesus forgave us. That is going to be the why of everything we focus on here tonight. We're going to know the how, we're going to know the what, but the why is the most important answer. And it is the answer that is going to free you up to forgive supernaturally, because this is not an easy thing. Forgiveness is hard. We're going to talk about what happens when I don't want to forgive someone, or what happens when I think that I cannot forgive someone. The Bible has answers for all of those things. But if the why is because Jesus forgave me, this is going to be so much easier. The what and the how are going to be so much easier. Your heart will overflow with forgiveness, that you will have no other option but to forgive. We're going to see an example of forgiveness from Scripture that is perhaps one of my, if not my favorite parable, or maybe not favorite, but certainly the most challenging and the most instrumental parable that I need to hold to every day. So we find parables in the Gospels. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 18, we're going to hear Jesus share a parable. And we're going to make some hopefully interesting observations of this parable. And it is probably a parable many of you have heard may focus on a few different things, though, that maybe you haven't considered tonight. I'm not near daring enough to ask somebody to read all of these verses, so I will go ahead and read them for you. But we're in Matthew 18, if you have your Bibles or your phones. I'm going to start with verses 21, when we actually see some of the how, but then we also get into more of the why. So Jesus is saying here, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And just a quick commentary there initially. If you can't get the tone of what Peter's actually saying, Peter actually thinks he's pretty impressive by saying, if somebody sins, I'm pretty good if I forgive them seven times, right? There's kind of this, this Jewish thought or Jewish tradition of you can forgive someone up to three times. So not, was, not only was Peter kind of doubling that, he was even doubling it plus one. So he's like, I'm pretty good. I'm willing to do it seven times, Jesus. That's, that's pretty good, right? Well, Jesus' response here is pretty interesting. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Right? So Jesus is taking it up a notch here. And again, just for clarity, Jesus isn't actually saying you have to cut off your uh, forgiveness 77 times for someone. This is, he's using hyperbole, this example of you got to forgive a lot. In fact, you shouldn't stop forgiving. And he gives the why here. So this is a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master had him delivered over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ends with a stark warning that we will get into later as we consider withholding forgiveness from someone else. Just to set the context and the scene here a little bit for things that may be a little bit unfamiliar to us, we have a master, all right? Someone could be a boss, could be a king, whatever. Someone uh, very, very important who was owed a debt by one of his servants. And a, a debt of, what does it say there? 10,000 talents. Does anybody know how much talent is? So, yeah, neither do I. But the conversion is roughly millions, billions, probably, of dollars today. So you have a servant who owes billions of dollars. And this isn't a servant who made billions of dollars to be able to pay it back. In fact, it's estimated that at this servant's wage, it would take the servant almost 200,000 years to make enough money to be able to pay back 10,000 talents. Do you think this servant would ever be able to pay back a 200,000-year debt? No, I mean, he wouldn't be able to do it no matter how hard he worked. He wouldn't be able to steal that amount of money to be able to pay it. He wouldn't be able to collect all that money from his friends and family to be able to pay it. He'd have to collect it from two, a year's wage from 200,000 people. The point Jesus is making here is this debt is insurmountable. There is no way that the servant even would have the ability to pay it. And I do find it interesting that regardless of the servant's ability to pay it, he was still held responsible for it. The, the master of the house did still expect him. I mean, it was a debt owed. Now, this story in the mid part concludes with he was forgiven the debt. However, it was still owed. This servant who had just been forgiven 200,000 years of debt then leaves his master and goes to find one of his peers, uh, another servant, who owed him a debt. A debt of, what does it say, a few denarii? This is at most about three months' salary. Do you think somebody could pay back a three-month debt? Yeah, probably. But how did this servant respond to his fellow servant? Did he respond with the same level of forgiveness, compassion, mercy that his master had just shown him for something 200,000 times greater? No, he didn't. So then what happens to this servant? His fellow servants report back to the master that, hey, that guy, you just forgave that huge debt. He actually just, just did this. So the master calls him back and says, so he say to him, you wicked servant, I did this for you. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? One thing, even just looking at this afresh here this week that I found interesting, did the master tell the servant after he forgave him his debt, now go and forgive others like I have forgiven you? Does he, does he say that anywhere here? No, he doesn't. So then why is the master so mad? It's not like he told him, hey, I forgave you, so go forgive all these other people. Why, would he, why is he so mad that this servant didn't forgive his other servant, his fellow peer? 
Because he said, I had mercy on you. Should you not then have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? I find this interesting because even though we are commanded in Scripture to the what, and we're given lots of hows, forgiveness is spoken of often in Scripture, we're given the what's and we're given the hows, I think even if we, if we understand how much we've actually been forgiven, the natural overflow of our heart, whether we're told to or not, should be of abundant and lavish and gracious and merciful forgiveness of others. Again, Scripture doesn't leave us at that. I think part of it is because God knows exactly how hard-hearted we are and how we need all of these reminders to come over and over and over again. And we need it in parables and we need it in commandments and we need it in different stories to help reinforce the point of something that's so, so hard. But how hard is it really if we are more focused on how much we've been forgiven for us then to forgive someone else? So that's the why we're going to hold on to. As as we consider the how, as we consider the what, we forgive because Jesus forgave us. All right? So let's explore uh, some of the how. Some of the how is is actually fairly debated uh, debated by some people of, okay, how do you actually go about forgiving people? Because I think we'll find that there's kind of two classes of people that we need to consider forgiveness and consider what forgiveness looks like. There's the easy ones that we think of is the people that ask for our forgiveness. That's easy. It's not still not easy to forgive them, but we have those people that ask for forgiveness. But let's go a little bit deeper. What do we do with the people who don't ask for our forgiveness? Do we forgive them? Rhetorical. You can do some head nodding if you want. I won't call on you. It's okay. But do we forgive the people who haven't asked for forgiveness? Let's start maybe with the, the easier one of do we, how do we forgive the people that ask for it? People that have wronged us and that have come to us and given us a heartfelt apology, a real apology, not a, hey, I'm sorry that you got mad. It's No, they're taking honest responsibility. They're exhibiting fruits of repentance, of turning from the behavior, the wrong, the sin that they committed against God and against you. And they are coming to you openly and honestly and asking for your forgiveness. All right. So, so let's talk about those people who are honest in their apology. And we understand that we are called to grant them biblical forgiveness. Why do we grant them biblical forgiveness? Because Jesus forgave us. Because Jesus forgave us. We're going to go back to that a lot. All right. So just get that ready. If you just want to say Jesus, I'll accept that answer as well. All right. Again, about as easy as we can be. All right. There's something I like to call the four promises of forgiveness that uh, really are, are modeled after this idea of also how God in Christ forgave us. Does anyone uh, heard of forgive and forget? Who here believes that forgiveness involves forgetting? If you've really been hurt, have you ever forgot it? If someone really wronged you, somebody told a lie about you, someone's gossiped about you, someone broke a commitment to you, someone broke up with you, okay? What does forgetting look like? Forgetting is not, I don't remember you mean, mean like, I can't even think about it. I don't, I don't even remember what happened. If we believe that God forgave us, do we believe that God forgets anything? 
Does an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing God forget anything? So he must be doing something different when he forgives us. It's not a complete for, forget, right? So meaning like it's a passive process that I'm not even going to remember what happened because, you know, the details were just too fuzzy. A lot of us have been hurt pretty deep, and, and we still remember it often. But forgiveness is an active process. Forgiveness is a desire to seek reconciliation with another person so that your relationship can be restored. All right, so we have two individuals. Stick figures are the best you get for me, okay? So, and one comes to another asking for an apology and for forgiveness. They're sad when they ask, and you know, this person's sad now too. So we're gonna turn those frowns upside down, all right? We have the why here that keeps us focused on granting forgiveness. Because God forgave us, that's why we are going to be willing to forgive other people as well. But someone comes to us, asks for our forgiveness. This is going to be an active process so that we can reconcile this relationship. Not that we can forget what happened, but that we can reconcile or make the relationship right. This requires you to make three or four promises, depends on how you look at it. Promise number one. You're going to promise to that person, if you grant them forgiveness, true biblical forgiveness like God does, that I will never bring up that incident again. I will never bring it up to you again. So if you find yourself saying, yeah, I forgive you, but then next week you say, hey, remember when you did this? You've got to ask yourself, have I really forgiven that person? Because when you're forgiving that person, you're actively extending them biblical forgiveness. You are promising them, I will never bring it up to you again. Doesn't mean I'll forget it, but I'm never going to bring it up to you again. That's promise number one. Promise number two, I'm not going to bring it up to other people again. So who's had that temptation? You may think, well, I'm not going to talk to them about it. They wronged me, whatever, I forgive them. But I'm going to talk to my friends about it. I'm going to let my friends know just how much that they hurt me. And I want to tell my other friends so that, that they know just how bad that person actually is. If your friend has asked for your forgiveness and you said you've forgiven them, you are making them the promise that, number one, you won't bring it up to them, but also that you won't bring it up to other people as well. This is not an active, this is not a passive thing. This is an active thing that we have to do. That's promise number two. Promise number three is you promise them to not bring it up to yourself again. That one's pretty hard. Because as hard as we try, sometimes things come back in our minds. Because we already know that it is essentially impossible to forgive and forget, what are we saying when we say, I'm not going to bring it up to myself again? We're not saying that I'm never going to remember it, because I recognize that I may remember it. But what we're saying, what we're committing to that other person is, I'm not going to dwell on a thought that comes to me. If I if I'm have the thought of what you did to me come into my mind, I am going to actively work to put it out of my mind. I am going to think of the things God wants me to think of and not the way that you sinned against me. Now, that's really hard, but I can't tell you how important that is. I see person after person who may be in their best effort uh, keeping bringing it up to other people. And they may not be bringing it up to the other person, but they are stewing on it in their mind day in, day out for hours and hours. And, and a lot of times the offense can just continue to build more and more. And they continue to go darker and darker as they are actually withholding forgiveness from another person. 
So promise number three is, I will promise to not bring it up to myself again. And if those thoughts come in, I am committed to putting them out of my mind because you have forgiven me. Now, how does that sound like the way God has forgiven us? Do we know the verses of of God's forgiveness, how lavish God's forgiveness is? He He has thrown, he has had our forgiveness as far as the east is from the west, right? You can keep going around the world, you're never going to hit the other side, right? You're just going to keep going. That's, that's part of the, the picture that, that God is using there, right? So if God has forgiven us and chooses to actively remember our sin no more, then he calls us to that same abundant forgiveness for others. I'm not going to bring it up to you. I'm not going to bring it up to others, and I'm not going to bring it up to myself. And the fourth promise, to me, is more an outcome if you're practicing those things. If you were doing those three things, if you're practicing actively those three promises of forgiveness, it will lead to the fourth thing, or the the overflow of it is, I will not let this hinder our relationship moving forward. Now, if you're not practicing the first three things, your relationship, this horizontal relationship, this reconciliation, if you're letting it hinder your relationship, you really haven't practiced good biblical forgiveness. But I think it is a, a, a nice cherry on top to make that point of I'm also committing that it's not going to hinder our relationship moving forward. That if full forgiveness has taken place, we're going to be able to move on um, towards our greatest goal of love of God. And as we grow to love God more each individually, we'll also become closer with each other. So the four promises, I will not bring it up to you, I will not bring it up to others, I will not bring it up to myself, and I will not let it hinder our relationship moving forward. I mean, I'm not going to let it be a block that I'm going to let us hold. I'm going to break that down and continue to pursue and love you. Now that is lavish and gracious forgiveness, very similar to how God works for us. Because think if any of those four things God didn't do for us. What if God brought up our sin after he had forgiven us? What would that mean? Well, it means that we're still under the, the damnation of our sin. It means that we would still be damned to hell, right? I mean, Jesus saved us through his forgiveness of us, through our, through our justification, and is now transforming us. But if Jesus would ever go back on his forgiveness of us, like we sometimes go back on our forgiveness of others, that would mean death for us. That would mean hell for us. God doesn't do that. He promises to forgive you, and he keeps that promise. He does not continue to bring it up to you. He does not bring it up to others, and and he certainly does not bring it up to himself. And thankfully, he does not let it hinder our relationship moving forward, that throughout life we can continue to be sanctified and grow to be more like Jesus and grow closer with God over time. So that is how the how, the how of forgiveness The how of forgiveness, particularly for those who come to us asking for forgiveness. It does get a little bit more tricky for those who don't ask for forgiveness. What if your friend or someone you know sins against you and never asks for forgiveness? Let's take a poll. Don't have, just raise your hand. Who believes that you would still forgive that person even if they don't ask for forgiveness? A few half little half raises. All right, I like the people that committed. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, who believes you do not forgive people if they don't, unless they ask you? 
Okay, some half, some half waves again, and then a lot of I don't knows. Okay, well, to be fair, this is a, a question that a lot of people do ask, and a lot of really good, a lot of godly people do come out down on different sides of it. And I won't necessarily share strictly how, how I feel about it, but I will have us kind of think things through uh, a little bit biblically of of how God deals with us, and um, regardless of forgiveness and, and being willing to make that promise to another, I think there are other things that we can focus on if we're not able to, if they don't come to us and this relationship is unable to be restored. So a few different things I, w- I want us to focus on first. Um, if they do not come to us, there is a biblical precedent that we are to go to them. If you're still in Matthew 18, turn just over a few verses there. There's this, this idea of, of seeking reconciliation as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if someone wrongs you, and, and I'll read these verses here just so we have the context in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. It says, if your brother sins against you, go, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let it be let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. We'll let the next three verses go. If you want to hear me unpack this a little bit, you can sit in on our equipping class, or you can listen to it online, because you guys will already be in your Sunday school class on uh, Sunday. But this Sunday, I, I'm going to be talking on this exact passage on our uh, God's family, God's way, equipping class. So we'll get into it a lot more on Sunday, but I do find it interesting that God calls brothers and sisters who have been sinned against, even if they're not coming to you, you are called to go to them and tell them their fault. Why do we do that? Well, I think one of the reasons is sometimes people sin against us and they may not even know. They may not even know. Now, a lot of times they do, but they may not even know just how deeply it affected us and that we are still holding on to it and we want to reconcile that relationship, but we recognize that there's brokenness, that there's sin in that relationship that needs to be reconciled and for that relationship to be restored. So one of the reasons we're called is because they may not know. But I think most of the time they do know that they have sinned against us, yet they refuse to go. So you approaching them... Now, you have to do it carefully, you have to do it humbly, and you have to do it at love. But this gives them an opportunity that God could be using you in order to start to broker that transaction of forgiveness. They may be resistant for a variety of reasons. They could be very uh, um, guilt-stricken. They could be very downtrodden because of the way they sin, and they just at this time do not have the strength to, to come to you. They feel like they're too broken. They feel like you wouldn't forgive them even if they did. So you going to them and telling them and having that conversation and being doing it well, doing it in love, may be what God uses in order to break down their hard heart and lead them to repentance, lead them to confession, and lead them to apologies. So I think that's one of the reasons that God calls us to. Uh, but the other reason is... Uh, they may still have a hard heart and they may still refuse, which is why there's the, this progressive steps that you take. You go first alone and then you start to bring other people with you. And if that fails, you even have to bring in the entire local church body in order to admonish or, or rebuke this person. 
And the big thing behind that is, is so that person who has a hard heart may feel the full pressure of not just one person, not just two or three people, but eventually possibly the entire church coming to that person so that they may feel the pressure that God is using, put, put, God is using that pressure in order to bring about repentance. Paul, Paul calls it uh, that they may feel a mini judgment so that they will avoid the day of ultimate judgment when Christ returns and, and comes to judge all. We don't want any of us to have unrepentant sin. So God will use individuals, he'll use small groups of people, and he'll use a local church body in order to lean into someone and let them feel the partial weight of their sin. So that's why uh, the couple reasons why we go and confront if someone else is not coming to us. So uh, they haven't come to us. We go to them. We are trying to pursue reconciliation. We're trying to pursue forgiveness, yet they are still not apologetic. So what do we do if they are not willing to admit what they have done is sin? And for the purposes of this discussion, we are going to say that what they have done is sin. It's not like there's a gray area. It's not like it's like, well, I didn't take it very well, but it wasn't really sin. What they did was sin. I was sinned against. They're refusing to apologize. Okay, so therefore, it will be very challenging if forgiveness is a transactional thing that happens between two people in order to reconcile or restore a relationship. It will be hard for full forgiveness to take place. I think there's a few things we need to do in the absence of reconciliation, in the absence of someone asking for our forgiveness. Number one, we need to have a heart of forgiveness. Now, whether you actually forgive them kind of depends on what your definition of forgiveness is, but assuming that forgiveness is a transaction of reconciliation, you at least need to have your heart ready that if the Holy Spirit softens that person's heart and they ever do come to you to ask for forgiveness, you are ready to grant it and you are ready to grant it quickly. Again, similar to how God does it. Does God ever withhold his forgiveness to those who ask for it? Does he ever say, I'll think about it, I'll get back to you tomorrow? No, he instantaneously, graciously, lavishly, whatever adjective you, you want to have, abundantly forgives us and he does it quickly. We likewise need to have a heart ready to forgive. Number two, um, perhaps this should have been one, but uh, we need to be praying for that person's forgiveness. There is, for the person who doesn't want to ask for forgiveness, there is often, or I will say universally, no amount of things that you can say or things that you can do to bring about that person's apology. It is only a work of the Holy Spirit in their life, convicting them and bringing them about to humbly confess their sin. So you need to be praying for that person's soul. You need to be praying that the Holy Spirit will work to soften them so that they will ask for forgiveness. So maybe let's put that in one, change your notes, go back to one. Two will be you prepare your heart for forgiveness. Number three, you uh, lavishly show them love. How do we show someone love who's unwilling to ask for forgiveness? Someone who has wronged us. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? Yes. Okay. Did Jesus die on the cross for good people who treated him, who treated him really well, who were really nice to him? Who did Jesus die on the cross for? Sinners. People that wronged him. People that beat him. People that spit on him. 
People that broke every single one of the Ten Commandments hundreds of times over. So if Jesus is willing to sacrificially lay down his life for us while we were still sinners by showing us the love, a love that's is no possibly greater than dying on the cross for us, how much more should we then love others even if they're still wrong enough, even if they are still sinning against us? You have an amazing opportunity to show people, real people, Jesus' love when they refuse to ask for forgiveness. We are called to love as Christ loved. And how did Christ love? He loved us that while we were still sinners, he was even willing to die for us. And then finally, and this one can sometimes be challenging for us Christians, is we need to make way for God's wrath, not our own. Remember when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When Jesus was cursed, he did not curse in return. Meaning when he was threatened and beating, he didn't take it upon himself to then punish and revile and insult. He left that to God. And we are to do the same as well. We are not to go on the attack of someone else in order to try and either punish or bring about their repentance through punishment. We need to leave that to God. So we have to allow room in our hearts for God to work, sometimes working through very challenging, uh, hard for us to see disciplines. Meaning sometimes that person's life, because they're withholding, uh, um, they're holding on to sin, may get very hard for them. God says the way of the transgressor, the way of the sinner is hard. And we have to recognize that sometimes God will use very hard things in order to bring about repentance. But we need to remove ourselves from that role. That is God's role and God's role alone. So pray. Love the person. Number three. Because now I'm blanking because I don't remember number four. So pray. Love the person. Oh, have a heart ready for forgiveness. And then... uh, Leave room for God's wrath. Don't seek reviling or wrath on your own. All right. So I think we have some what? We have some how of, most most importantly, the why. But we have the how. How do we forgive people that come asking for forgiveness? How do we forgive those? Or what is our heart posture towards those who have not asked for forgiveness? All right. But the last thing I want you guys to consider with me here, which I believe is significantly related to forgiveness and considering just how much God has forgiven us, is the common question that was asked, or is often asked, is if you were to die today, why would you go to heaven? Now, some of you may have lots of different answers for that, but I'm going to ask even maybe maybe more challenging or possibly it could be an easier answer. If I were to die today, why would I go to heaven? Anyone willing to say that? So who here thinks I'm a Christian? Please, everybody, raise your hand. Okay. So, so if I were to die today, why would I go to heaven? Do we believe all Christians go to heaven? If I were to die today, why would I go to heaven? Any answers? I've been forgiven, yes. But have I been forgiven because I'm director of biblical counseling here at Newcastle? Because I'm an elder in development? Because I teach Sunday school class? Because I come teach you guys? Because I pray sometimes, not as much as I should? Because I read my Bible? 
What did you guys know I was a life group leader? That's pretty good. That should get me forgiven, right? Why does God forgive? Why do we go to heaven? Now, I've said this to my daughters many times, what this answer should be, but if you stand in heaven recognizing that you are forgiven and you're asking why, why are you there? The only answer that you could ever give and any of us could ever give is because Jesus said we could be there. Jesus said we could be in heaven because Jesus died for our sins. And because of that, God the Father forgave us. God the Father declared us not guilty. I want to be clear that forgiveness is not just because of you're not forgiven, you're not saved, because you come here on a Wednesday night, you give up your Wednesday night, or because you read your Bible, or because you pray. You've been forgiven because God said you were forgiven because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And again, to drive that why home, because you have been forgiven so much, the 200,000-year debt, that heart needs to overflow with forgiveness for others. So I just pray that you guys will keep that on your mind every day when you are hurt, when people are sinned against you. And I know some of you have been sinned against pretty significantly, but odds are you're going to be sinned against worse and more the older you get. There's no shortage of ways that people can sin against you. But if you always keep in your mind just how much you have been forgiven, this whole forgiving other people thing becomes a lot easier. It doesn't become easy because our sin still wants to hold on. It still wants to punish someone else. It still wants to withhold love. But if you remind yourself of how you have been forgiven and why you're in heaven is because you've been forgiven because Jesus died on the cross for you, rest of this is going to be so much easier. Questions? I had a certain time, plus or minus five minutes. I don't know if I'm at the plus five minutes or the minus five minutes, but I think we're good for the evening. So, No questions? Please, AJ. Yeah, I thought about getting into that, what a biblical apology looks like. Um, I tried to lay it out a little bit that it needs to be sincere, it needs to be honest, okay? There is something called the seven A's of an apology or seven A's of a confession that someone would go to. Uh, very generically, it is that person or you say you're going to ask forgiveness, accepting 100% responsibility for whatever your sin was, okay? So sometimes I think of it as a pie chart, and when I get two people... That's a problem. (laughs) Uh, When I get two people together, I'll ask them, okay, what percentage are you responsible for this situation? Your conflict, you're broken down. Best case scenario, people will typically say 50-50, all right? That's if people are really feeling good. I've had people tell me, you know, I'm only 1%, this isn't drawn to scale, okay? I'm only 1% responsible. True apology is, okay, I don't care what percentage it is. This is part of the you know, illustration that doesn't really matter. Whatever number they say, I could probably argue a different number, but whatever number they say, you say, okay, will you take 100% responsibility for whatever your role in the situation, in the sin against another person was? And true biblical apology of repentance is you taking 100% responsibility for whatever uh, responsibility you have. 
So there's caveats. That means you can't go apologize and say, um, I'm sorry if you got mad that I did that. No if, buts, or maybe in an apology. It is you 100% accepting responsibility. There's other things like admitting specifically. You can't just say, I'm sorry that I did that. No, you need to say specifically what you did. Uh, you need to be willing to accept the consequences. Sin and may have consequences even after an apology. There are great consequences to our sin. Not looking at anybody in specifically. So, uh, You need to uh, address everyone involved. That's another one of the A's. Your sin may affect more than just one person. You may need to address multiple people to have a true biblical apology. Um, uh, another A, you need to alter your behavior. If you're actually apologizing biblically, you're also making that commitment. I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to work to not do this again. I don't know how many A's I'm up to, but there's there's seven A's in a true biblical apology. But I think this is the big one of I'm going to accept 100% responsibility for whatever I did, and I'm not going to somehow downplay what I did because of what you did. I'm going to take responsibility for my part regardless of what if you take responsibility for yours. That heart posture will give you a true biblical apology more times than not. Everything else is just learning how to do it a little bit better. Okay, well, thank you for all your rowdy involvement here tonight, okay? So, if you guys have any questions, if you guys are struggling with forgiving someone, if you guys are struggling apologizing to someone that you're feeling convicted and guilty that you should, I would be happy to talk to you. I'm really not that scary. I mean, I know the, the height maybe does it, my amazing physique, maybe that's what does it, I don't know. But I'm willing to talk to you. Obviously, Pastor Scott, your leaders here will talk to you about biblical forgiveness. We have plenty of other people here in the church that would talk to you. If you're struggling with forgiving somebody, whether they've asked for it or not, or whether you're struggling uh, asking for forgiveness, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Okay? All right.